You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Mega City One citizens, and welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Judge Alex Baker, and joining me as always, Judge Sean Baker. And today you're going to be staying out of the isolation cubes because we're talking about the 2012 film Dread. So, this is a film that is on a still ongoing comic series mm-hmm. called Judge Dread. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a little aside, this is a series that is published once a week, not once a month. So I believe they are currently in the thousands as far as uh, Judge Dredd stories. So it started in the mid-70s somewhere in there? Wow. Yeah. So this is a world where, even though it's a British comic, it takes place in America. Yes. And this is after a uh, nuclear war between America and Russia. Um. It's the world, most of America is uninhabitable. They call it the cursed earth. Yeah. The places that are still okay are called mega cities. There is a mega city one, which is the main focus in this story. And it stretches, as he says, from like Boston to DC. Yeah. And then there is also, they don't mention it, I don't think in this movie, but in the comics, there's a Texas city one, (laughs) which is like the Southwest with like Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana. Yeah. And then all the way there's mega city two. And that's like California, LA, so on and so forth. Yeah. But this is not an American government. It is a fascist dictatorship. This is a judge system. I, I, well, I can stop you right there. I don't know if it's fascist per se. It doesn't seem political at all. Well, the citizens don't have any rights. It's a it's a police state. It yeah, quite police. literally is a police state. It doesn't, as far as you can tell. I mean, granted, I haven't read all the com- the thousands and thousands of issues of the comic, but it looks to be that you know the the uh, the government has basically shriveled down to the most basic form of government, the, the uh, a police force, which is providing yes. security for an extremely dense population, according to this film. Uh, Mega City One has a population of somewhere over 800 million, million, which to give us some kind of a um, um, perspective on that, uh, the present population in the United States is somewhere around 330 million. So you have to keep in mind uh, it's an extremely dense population. um, And I kind of wonder as I'm watching the film – how how realistic it, it is to assume that a what is essentially only a police state actually yes. could function and uh especially after a nuclear war yes. i mean they, um, they make and, laws and man, as well yeah and and it's man it's able to even though it's you know kind of derelict and a lot of corruption and it's kind of Gotham on steroids with the drug the drug people running these gigantic individual uh, blocks. Uh, blocks, which are just gigantic high rises essentially. Um, how how this civilization would be able to generate enough food or anything to to, to support all these people? But I'm just being picky here, I guess. But yeah. anyway, it's, it is 
it's yeah, it's called the judge system, and basically you're a you're a judge, you're judge, jury, and executioner. You can yes. carry out judgment on a citizen who is con- uh, convicted of a crime, and you have the power, the authority to give judgment as you see fit. Yeah, this is a world where if you're not a judge, you have no rights. There is no elections here. Right. And there is no legislature, yeah. legis- legislative body as far as we can yeah. see. Yeah. They don't mention it in the movie, but anybody can be a judge. You, but you have to do it at a very young age. I think like five, like if you're eight, even if you're nine, that's considered too old. Yeah. You go through this system and it's it's in the, in the comics. It's a very like strenuous, like even harder than like the in your any kind of military training. Yeah. And it's a lot of people. But you survive. You make it. You can be a judge, which is kind of what happened to dread and this is we follow dread and dread is you know he's been doing this for a long time he's very i mean he was this character was created to almost parody satirize the dirty hairy cop oh yeah he's even got the voice he's got the voice (laughs) you never see his face yes and he is will he he hunts down bad guys he's able to eat Drops the you know Clint Eastwood one-liners about hot shot and <laughs> shoots the guy with a hot bullet. His face burns, but he's 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 a full believer in the system. But he is completely strict. Like he like he says he's like by the know, book, by the book, by, as, the, by book. the book as you can get. Yes, and he's got to take on even to the point where I kind of like this this part. Um, um, after they have arrested K, I think that was his name. Correct, the guy that had. Yeah. Uh, done a grisly execution of some people. Uh, and this was the crime they were sent to investigate. Even after uh, Anderson, who's got telepathic powers, right, mm-hmm. kind of taps into Kay's mind and sees uh, images in his memory of having done the act, she says she's 99% sure Kay's the guy that they were looking for. But uh, not, she's not Judge, 100. Yeah, Judge Dredd says, well, you know, I can't, as it were, uh, convict on anything less than a hundred percent. So he's he is strictly by the book uh, in that regard. I found that a little amusing. Yeah, and he's like you said, he's it's his, he's got to take in a rookie because it's, it's like a dirty hair. Like every yeah. dirty hairy movie, he's yeah. always got to have this rookie. It's, yeah. and it's always in minority. It was like sometimes the first movie it was Latino man, and I think another one it's one of the women from uh, Cagney and Lacey. She she yeah. Yeah, she's his partner in one of the movies, but. He's got a Judge Anderson. She yes. is a young. She's in her early twenties. Yep. And she's sort of borderline on her scores, like nearly. She's almost below it, but they're kind of being a bit lenient because she's yeah. a psychic. Yeah. And again, he wants to go by the book. Yeah. He doesn't want. He says, "Well, she should be she failed. failed. She's right. a couple Boom. points below. It doesn't matter. She should be failed." <laughs> yeah. But they're saying because of her psychic ability, and she kind of even reads Judge Dredd's mind. Yeah. She's given the times like, okay, take her out for her first day. She forgets her helmet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she's no, no. She says like having the helmet. Oh, that's interferes right. with my psychic ability. That's right. He says, "Well, yeah. I think a bullet would probably interfere with it more." <laughs> yeah. So they so he says, "All right, I'm basically sink or swim. I'll, uh, you're at assessment today, and I'll see if you pass or fail." Yeah. And he's even saying all the things that you could fail if you forget this, if you lose your gun, you fail. All of these things, and he says, "It's your call." Yeah. And then we go to the Peach Trees District, which it's it's. The Peachtree's block, which block, is yeah. funny in the comics, it's like 
pop culture obsessed because all the blocks are named after like actors or characters. There's a Charlton Heston block. There's a Rowdy Yates block. <laughs> yeah. and, like all these famous people have blocks named after now, this one. It's just called. Well, we have to make trees. clear to everybody that hasn't seen the film is that these aren't like city blocks or anything. These are they're gigantic, massive, like, massive high rises, high skyscrapers. Yeah, and there's probably about fifteen to twenty miles in between each one of these things. And you see great shots, establishing shots at the beginning of the film, also at the end of the film, of this massive landscape with these gigantic uh, blocks. And each each block is in itself like a town and somewhat isolated from the other ones. So, yeah, they're going to Peachtree. Yeah, and this is she. She chooses to go there because she grew up there. Yeah. And as they're traveling, he tells her the statistics of you know of all the crimes and stuff that goes on. There's like you know a crime literally almost like two two crimes every minute almost. Yes. So we can't respond to everything, and the numbers says we can only respond to six percent yeah. of them. So they choose that, but she says she grew up here, and she said, and he says like you know this is a terrible place. You know there's nothing good's coming out of here. She says well there are good people here, and I think I can make a difference. Yeah. So they're investigating a triple homicide. And through it, like you said, they capture this one guy and they figure out that the whole, this block is run by a drug kingpin woman named Mama. And right. she was a form, she was a, originally a former prostitute. And then she took control of all the drug, uh, after a brutal gang war, she took control. And the thing is, she's, she intimidates everybody. She's very yeah. violent. She doesn't hesitate to kill people or take, make people to, that is an example. And so yeah. these three were sort of as an example, but then... One of the one of her guys is a tech guy. Mm-hmm. He notices the cameras from being captured, and then the, the big showdown happens. They are able to seal off the block, make it look like it was like in Die Hard. Make it look like it's just a training exercise, so no outside help can come in. Right, and they're saying everybody in the block. I'm, this is Mama. I control this. Stay out of this. We're going to kill these judges and get our guys back. So the rest yeah. of the movie is them just trying to survive. Yes. And eventually, there's a lot of shootouts. There's you know two different kinds of big machine guns. Just <laughs> and she does not care about collateral damage. A lot of civilians get get yep. killed in the process. And Janja Anderson gets captured, but then she escapes. And then there's we find out that some judges respond, and you think they're going to save them, but. No, they're, they're in the cahoots with Mama. Right. But Judge Dredd figures it out. He gets them. He kills them. Anderson is able to escape. And eventually it comes down to the big showdown with Mama. And she rigs something like in her wrist, like my heartbeat. You know, it's that yeah, whole thing. Some kind of a gizmo, right? That's in all action movies. Like, yeah. I go down, this whole place goes down. But he throws her out of the building just like she's done to everybody. Yeah. So the range is too far. And then... That's it. Right. But yeah, the the signal from the little gizmo on her wrist is not able to get back to the receiver, which is up on the top floors where there, this final uh, showdown was happening. And apparently, she never thought that he could throw her down. And, and just to just to give her a taste of uh, uh, the agonizing sort of death that she had inflicted upon other people. We have to rem- slow mo drug, he, right? We she, have to remind people that slow-mo. he gives her a dose of that s- Ill- illegal slow mo drug that uh, she has been. Uh, her organization has been uh, distributing at least in this one building, probably in others. Which essentially, and I don't know why anybody would want to take this stuff. Uh, according to the description at the beginning of the film, it it, it slows down your experience of time to one uh, yeah. percent. I think it said of your normal 
experience. It's like you're watching 300. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then she's defeated, but because Anderson thinks she's failed, because she got her big thing is she was captured and she had her gun taken away. Yes. And she also lets a guy go, which we'll talk about later. So yeah. she thinks she's failed. She's about to walk, but then the chief, the head, the chief judge, she sees Dredd and she says, well, pass or fail. And even though going by his book, she's a fail, he says, yeah. no, she's a pass. Yes. And she, she even she did the typical turn in her badge. Yeah. Like every cop their, their badges have their names on them. Yeah. Yeah. She gets yeah. her badge back and we see him and Anderson are gearing up and they're ready to hit the streets again. And yeah. And it's Judge Dredd talking about, you know, there's one the only thing that's keeping us between the madness civilization is the judges. And yes. That's the, and that's and the end. This is a this is a really good movie. And it's uh, it didn't do very well at the box office. And I think it's because of the other judge. We should. This is a 2012 film, Dredd, not the mm-hmm. Stallone version from the 90s, which I believe the uh, creators of the comics, um, John Wagner and Carlos Esquera, mm-hmm. both. Uh, say they don't like because it kind of misses the point because it's 90s action movie with Stallone so it's kind of missing the satirical elements and that's the one thing because remember this is not a democracy and I think this whole this character was created to satirize the he said the dirty hairy cliche of cops who are in movies who are celebrated for not going by the book for breaking rules for roughing up suspects shooting them there's a famous scene in the first Dirty Harry movie where he he, uh, shoots the Scorpio killer in the leg and brings him in and the guy's saying you know you can't do that because I gotta let him walk now because you should have thought of his rights and then Clint Eastwood says well excuse me for getting all concerned about his rights (laughs) yeah so it is that it's a thing where, yeah, in the comic scene, it's a. I love the comic series because it's definitely satirical, but it's also saying, yeah, he's not exactly a good guy. He's not a Superman or even a Batman. He's he goes too far, and I'll talk more about the other stories in the Judge Dredd, yeah, comics that where he is the bad guy. In Interesting. Those. Interesting. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be the bad guy in this one. Uh, you kind of, um, he, he never makes any questionable decisions in terms of. Uh, uh, framing innocent people or anything like that. He's not and, a corrupt judge like the others we he, see. Exactly, and and he uh, he tries to go by the book in terms of evidence and in terms of evaluating this uh, trainee he's got on his hands that he didn't really want. So uh, yeah, at least in this movie he isn't. Um, but it's kind of interesting the kind of uh, almost necessary compromises that they they have to make. I think that that's part of the lesson here. Um, the necessary compromises this pair have to make uh, because of the uh, extremity of the situation they're dealing with. And I think it's probably a reflection in the microcosm of the macrocosmic problem in this world. Um, you, you, know, you might be tempted to say, well, you know, okay, you've got, you've got a, uh, law enforcement agency here that uh, admits that it can only respond to around I think it was six percent. Yeah, he said six percent of reported crimes, and of those, they don't catch very many of the, of, of the, the perps. And, that, and it should <laughs> and, be noted that they don't go to this peach trees district very often, right? Because it's one of the one of the seedier ones, I suppose. But with a population that large. And uh, 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 
police force that small, and apparently it's not going to grow any larger. Uh, the question really arises, realistically, what else can you expect? It's almost as if this civilization simply doesn't have the time or the resources, as it were, to have a normal American government. Uh, so uh, a lot of the what you might call frippery has been has been uh, uh, jettisoned. Uh, and all that's left is kind of a vestige state, which is essentially just a police state. Um, and it makes you ask the question, well, you know, if if American civilization ever found itself in this kind of a, uh, a situation where you've got an extremely high population, I would guess a, a relative scarcity of resources. And Remember, uh, most of the country is inhabitable, so it's right. very dense. Yeah. Um, it, you, you, you might ask, well, in that kind of a situation, it may be the case that this is as good as you're going to get in terms of a government just because of the extremity of the situation. Um, and I say that, once again, I, I find it a little bit implausible because if, if this was a, a world nuclear conflagration, which it looks like it was, and according to what I'm um, uh, learning about the universe of this comic book series and the films, uh, I don't think Earth would be able to sustain that level it's, of a population. It's, it's definitely and, of comic book logic. Yeah. Because in the... Yeah. When there, episodes when he goes to the places called the cursed earth outside the city and it's got all these mutant typical yeah. mutant creatures but he, there are moon bases and there's aliens yeah. in certain scenes so you gotta wonder little, how they can support all be, that yeah and, but from what i read if i'm not mistaken from what i read uh and you know this is the great thing about researching these things uh, uh google right because i have not read any of these but um apparently uh either before or after that war uh there there was a kind of a revolution in AI and robotics to where people were, as it were, liberated from doing manual labor, having to grow food and stuff. But the yeah, problem that's was... That's one of the reasons why the unemployment rate is so high yeah, in megacity. Right. Yeah. So the, the problem becomes then, what, what, what do all these people have to do, right? And somehow or another, the advanced nature of that uh, technology is able to support that unusually large population. Uh, so you have yeah. this... Again, it's a very interesting commentary on not only the nature of the state but the relationship that exists between the state and the state of technology as it were and you get untoward consequences in this world where people are unemployed uh idle having nothing to do so they become as it were uh open to being victimized by drug dealers and so forth and so now you have this uh, uh unfortunate police force the the judges having mm -hmm. to deal with that, looks like, chronic problem in this yeah. society. And uh, to give a bit of backstory on, like, how this came to be, it was, you know, before this, there was, you know, typical America, and it was still this cold, in this world, it was still the Cold War, particularly. And then finally, the nuke the exchange of nukes happened. Yeah. And it was mainly in the comics, they said it was due to the president, the U.S. president. He was the main instigator. And even by then, crime was still high, even with the U.S. government still in place. So the judges system was already starting to happen in certain cities. Yeah. And it was getting popular. It was led by a guy named Judge Fargo. Okay. And, but with the outrage of the nukes and millions of people dying, the judges performed a coup and took over the president. Got and it. 
they I, I forget in the comics it was they sent him into a like a like cyrogenic chamber or something cryogenic cryogenic chamber yeah, yeah. and then he became a vampire it gets a little bit it, <laughs> the comics are completely goofy yeah it sounds fun like it. but they're sounds all like it. They, but he takes over and the, one of the stories is in Judge Dread Origins where they explain the origins of how this came to be in Judge Fargo and then uh, some of Fargo's DNA was used to create Dread because okay. Dread was created in a lab and his Age was speeded, so he would already be like five years old by the time he was born, so they could gotcha. speed him through. Get him, on, get him online there quick. <laughs> and yeah, eventually, because in the origins, he has they have to go back and wake him up for some reason. And Fargo wakes up, and he because even that when he before he uh, went in that chamber, he had doubts about the system. And then at the when he wakes up, he realizes we went too far. He yeah, tells Dread. We went too far. You have to stop this. We have to change our ways. Yeah. And Jared doesn't do it. He he decides he's toes the line. And that's the thing, because he's, he's always kind of shown as a hero in the comics. Like, there are classic uh, stories where he fights he fights Russians when there's another nuclear battle, because there's the Soviet bloc. There's Mega City Soviet City or whatever. <laughs> but in one story I want to bring up, it's called Judge Dread America. Mm-hmm. And in that story, he's not the main character. He sort of just appears as a background character, but it's this... Uh, America Jara is the woman. She's a Latino woman. She's, her parents name her America, because they have this faith in uh, Mega City. Yeah. And she becomes good friends with Bennett. And Bennett is like this commuting he wants to be an entertainer and so he's she becomes a massive pro-democracy like they do protest bringing back the democratic process yeah and what uh, judge dread and the other judges do is they try to they do everything they can to undermine that movement they hmm. have they secretly plant people and have them start inciting riots so that makes them look violent like they're not peaceful protests yeah and i believe at the end of the story I think even Judge Dredd, even he's like facing facing you as you're reading and says this, dem- you know, you got to face facts. This government would never work. Yeah. You have to, you're stuck with the judges. Interesting. Interesting. And he's, he's pl- the judges in that story definitely played as villains. And it even a, a um, another one, there's even, gets as far, the democratic movement gets as far as there's an election. The people says you can keep the judge system yeah. or you can go to this democracy. Yeah. And the vote happens, and everybody thinks it's going to go back to democracy, but they keep the judge system. And the the democracy group thinks they rigged the election. They said, you did this, they did that. And it's shown that, no, they would rather that's have the judge system. The, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a reflection. Uh, that's very interesting. I think, that, again, that is a, that might be a reflection of people uh, thinking that uh, the combination of the uh, high rate of crime— the extremely dense population, um, they're thinking that the regular, at least this, at least this much, the, the, the regular justice system we're used to in the United States where you separate the police and arrest power so, and, and uh, the uh, uh, judiciary, right, where people's innocence or guilt is determined uh, at a trial, Typically, after some period of time has passed, at least a few months, right? Um, they probably have come to a judgment that in that situation with the, with the uh, rampant crime and the extremely high population and the extremely low uh, population of judges or police, 
that the traditional system simply will not work. Now, that's just the legal system, but they might also have come to that judgment with regard to government in general, and it's just simply not going to be efficient. It's not going to work to attempt to go back to the good old days of the United States where you had you know, state government, local government, federal government, and they're all kind of working together and um, um, creating laws that have to interface and regulations that also have to interface across cities and states. That's all very complicated to do. Uh, maybe their, their judgment was it's, it's very complicated to do, and uh, we just simply don't have the luxury of time, so we have to keep our, our uh, government relatively primitive in structure and pare it down to the simplest function of state, which is provision of security. I think that's why. Especially yeah. if you you look at again, you look at that landscape that they're showing. In the, I don't know if you got this impression, but after they've gone through this whole incredibly arduous uh, uh, arrest, it's essentially an arrest or, or you know eventually killing of Mama, right? You 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 realize is is Judge Dredd's doing his voiceover at the end, right? And he's looking over that panorama. Peachtree is just one of yeah. these hundreds and hundreds yeah. of gigantic blocks, and you, and you and you get the impression that part of his the reason he's somewhat cynical is he's looking at the situation as it stands and going, going you know, we've just managed to maybe uh, uh, chip a little tiny bit off the cliff here mm-hmm. in terms of. Uh, dealing with crime, I mean, so you can you can see he get cynical, perhaps even hopeless. Well, if if he's going to have that attitude, uh, certainly the citizens have the attitude too. Um, so it's almost a necessity. You've got to pare things down to the essentials and try your best with those. And obviously, that's not working either. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, at the, with the writer of the film, Alex Garland, and from what I heard is was pretty much the director, even though he's not credited. Mm-hmm. He said he wanted Judge Dredd, as far as views and everything, not to have a complete change. And they do this in the comics where he's just not, you know, he, he doesn't have a huge arc, but he just, it's like a glacier. It just changes a little Slowly, bit. Slowly, yes. Every time. And that happens in the comics, too, because it's mentioned Judge Anderson is a mutant. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. anti-mutant discrimination, and they're not even allowed, mutants aren't even allowed in Mega City 1. They have to spend time at, like, certain camps in the the cursed earth in certain places. But it, yeah. as time goes on in the comics, his views change and he starts, he starts pushing for legislation to, to let them into mega city one. And it's even interesting because his DNA was part of judge Fargo. There is a Fargo clan in the, uh, hmm. um, cursed earth. And it's funny because judge Dredd has a big chin in the comics and they, the Fargo clan also has really big chins. Like their chins are huge. <laughs> But like, if he, because they can, they want to visit him because they consider him part of their family. Yeah, and eventually pushes, and he gets them to in Mega City. Mm-hmm. And you could say you could see him sort of moving, agreeing a little bit with Judge Anderson. And Judge Anderson is also she's in the comics too, and this is a good representation of her because she's more critical of the judge system in the comics. Yeah, because she has this psychic ability, so she can say, "Oh, she's she can." empathize because one of my the good scenes in the movie is that that tech guy yes we see him and he's almost the one that sort of creates the whole situation 
but he's not a bad guy because she looks and he's been tortured by Mama because yeah. he's had his eyes ripped out and replaced with like these eye camera gear things. Yeah. And even when he's having to make those calls and calling him off, like she's, she's got right a knife there. to him. Yeah, yeah. She's holding a knife and she says, if you can't pull this off, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And so she doesn't put him into punish him. She lets him go. And she even says, hopefully that's the one good positive bit of difference I make here. Cause she sees yeah. the difference. And-, and she's, she's the, she's the character that shows the wisdom uh, in, in this film uh, shows the wisdom of sometimes having to, as it were, bend the rules, even if you don't quite break them. But sometimes it's required to uh, uh, be creative in your interpretation of rules in order to preserve the spirit of those rules or those laws. And you can see her doing that. And um, uh, that's necessitated necessitated sometimes uh, in law enforcement um, uh, uh contexts and con- judiciary contexts sometimes uh, by the need to understand the context within which somebody did an action right so she has a natural uh, capacity to do that not only simply because she's got that psychic ability but she's got compassion and you don't really know and if she judge dread has that yeah. Yeah. yeah so she she has compassion so it, you, you want to temper Justice. This is one of the cliches in the in the world of <laughs> legal theory and so forth. You do want to temper justice with some degree of compassion. You want to you want to be able to do both, and she's teaching that lesson. Yeah, and you to, can see uh, it's that glacial change with dread where yeah. he's he's not entirely on board, but he's he he's. He bends at rule because he sees the potential Judge Anderson has and passes her because he could have said no and she would have been out, but yeah. he passes her. Yeah. And it's interesting because his boss, the chief judge, we should point out, is a one black woman. So yep. women and people of color in this judge system, even though it's considered fascist in a police state, it's yeah. still not discrimination. There's no gender bias. There might be mutant bias in this world as far as if you're a mutant, we don't want you here. But as far yeah, as not your, in the judge system, though, I mean, they saw I think the promise in psychics. There are other yeah. kinds of mutants, yeah. but if it's psychics, yeah. there is. An That's ability. OK. Right. Yeah. And, it, you know, it is kind of a kind of a, a merit based system, it looks like. And they're willing to overlook the fact that she's a mutant and a woman. And uh, I don't think uh, this is getting back to things we've talked about in earlier films. Uh, I don't think when uh, people are. Uh, thrown into these kinds of situations where each other's lives depends on the competencies of your your partners and so forth, all of, all of that um, inessential uh, stuff just drops off as being irrelevant. It doesn't matter if this person's a woman; she can do the job. She protects both of our our lives in the process of being of doing that job well. So of course we want her on the force, and uh, Judge Dredd sees that, but also his boss sees that. Yeah. Right. And it's especially in the comics, they don't really see eye to eye in the beginning. She somewhat mocks the judge system in a way in the comics. But over time, there becomes a strong friendship between Judge Dredd and Judge Anderson. And, you know, in the judge system, it's, you know, it's like almost like being a priest or something. You can't marry or have children. Mm -hmm. So there is no romantic feelings, but there is a lot of respect and friendship between those two in the comics and it is funny because you mentioned batman early on <laughs> of course you have you have a long-running comic series there's always going to be crossovers and team-ups so there was a judge dread batman crossover and when those two were going at it 
Judge Anderson is the one with their psychic ability and empathy is the one that sort of brings them together as friends and not have them fight each other. <laughs> it's interesting. Wow. But yeah, so looking at this film, uh, pe- some people say that this is a a possible future where the police force has this kind of power to be judge, jury, and executioner. And with all the things that are going on today, I wonder, is that true? Or would it be almost the exact opposite? Because when you hear one of the things you're hearing a lot today is defund the police. So that is the opposite of don't give them more power, give them less power. Because people with all the things that are going on today, people think that they're abusing that power. So is it the opposite? Or is this a possible future? Or is this just to warn us of... You know, what we think of, oh, yeah, let that cop break the rules. So, you know, get all th- we want the dirty Harry to get the guy who matters what the rights are for the criminal. Yeah, well, uh, I guess the easy answer is to say maybe there's a little bit of both. But I think I, I tend to side with your uh, more skeptical position on this, uh, at least in American society. American society, uh, we have at the core of our, uh, our kind of approach to governance, um, if not skepticism, a little bit of healthy cynicism uh, with regard to people that are in power. So I don't see here uh, us ever getting to the point where people would invest police forces with with all of the power that they have in this film. They they are uh, judge, jury, and executioner. I I don't see Americans ever tolerating anything like that, even even in extremists. I just I don't see that would happen here. Now, m- might that happen somewhere else? Possibly. I mean, we already have states on the surface of the globe where this is essentially what's going on anyway, if not a police force, at least the government, um, uh, being totalitarian in nature, um, will give police forces that kind of a, a power to do those sorts of things. I'm thinking of communist China, for instance. Um, North Korea. And North Korea. Other, there's other places in Cuba, you know. There's places like that. Um, but here, I don't see it as a future for us. I, there, it's too ingrained in our, uh, our, our national DNA to be rebellious and, and, not, uh, and, and think it's fundamentally unwise to invest government or police forces with that kind of uh, power. Uh, ask King George. <laughs> you know. Thank you, citizens, for listening to this week's podcast of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. Failure to listen to these podcasts will result in 60 days in an ISO cube. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, where each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online. It's thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. Failure to listen to that show will result in 80 days in an isolation cube. So until next time, I'm Judge Alex Baker. (laughs) Judge Sean Baker. Saying, I am the law. (laughs) 